Would you please pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. I thank you, Jesus, for defeating death on our behalf. And I pray now that you would help us as we grieve. For I ask this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to thank you for coming out this morning to uh, give thanks for Sonny's life and to join with Nancy and the family in grieving his death. I'm Mike, uh, the senior pastor here at the church, and I did not personally get to know Sonny, although I really wish I had. Reading the obituary that's printed on the back of the service leaflet, I found many things in common. We both were construction engineers, we both loved bikes and sailboats and adventures in general. And it was very clear to me that Sonny was a man who had a deep love of life. And so the loss is really great. I'm not going to presume to speak about him. That's not my purpose. But we will hear two eulogies a little bit later, which will help us with that. I think it's really helpful in grieving to remember the person who has died, to tell stories about them, to reflect on things that you liked about Sonny that you'll miss, and to give thanks to God for the life that he had. We're here to celebrate God's goodness and to seek comfort in the gospel. Now, right away, when death happens, we are tempted uh, to demand answers. The why questions are the dangerous ones. Why, we ask, would such a healthy person succumb to a virus that ravished his brain? Why would this weakness and this sickness last for so many years? Why wouldn't God just take him to be with him early. Why? And the problem with why questions is that they're really about God. The why questions are about God's goodness. We wonder, is he good or is he almighty? Because if he's good, then certainly it's because he's not powerful enough to have stopped this or overturned the sickness. And if he is almighty and able to do it, then maybe he's not good. Because what kind of a God would be able to stop such suffering and not do it? And we find ourselves on the horns of a dilemma, which interestingly, the scriptures uphold both things, that God is almighty, sovereign, powerful, and he's good, and he's loving and kind. Those things are not in question in the scriptures. And we know both are true. It's not an or. Both are true. And we know that because of two things. One is his presence, the presence of God in the midst of our suffering, and then the second thing is the promises, all of the incredible promises that God has made to us and what is still to come. I'd like to think about both that, the presence of God and his promises. Most of you in here are familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's a verse in there where the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. The presence of God. The psalmist isn't delivered from death. He has to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's sure that God is with him in the midst of that. There's the presence of God. And yet other psalms lament that sometimes we don't feel God's presence. So the one we read today, Psalm 42, speaking of a deer panting for water, our longing is for God. We want more of his presence in our life. We need it. And the psalmist says, where are you? He even asks, why have you forgotten me? There's that why question again. It's a dangerous question. And the psalm doesn't answer the why question. Twice, in fact, what it does say is put your trust in God. It says put your trust in God. And that means we're going to have to trust that God knows better than we do. 
that maybe we'll get some answers later, but right now we're admonished to trust, trust God. Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. It's one of the last things he said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. And that promise is trustworthy. We also know that Jesus was with us in the midst of our suffering. Many of you know that he had a friend named Lazarus who died. And the first time you read that story, you find that Lazarus dies. And Jesus waits two more days to go to him. And when he gets there, he knows he's going to raise him to life. In fact, he says to his disciples, let's go. Our friend Lazarus has died, and I go to raise him. The odd thing is when Jesus gets there, he weeps. And you think, well, why is he weeping? He's about to bring Lazarus back out of the tomb to new life. And the reason Jesus weeps is because he sees all of the other people grieving. He sees the pain that sin and death and brokenness in this world has caused, and it hurts his own heart. He's not weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for the whole situation. And so even though we don't get the answer to the why, we know that God does not stand aloof to our pain and suffering, but Jesus actually enters into it. When we hurt, God hurts alongside of us. He feels our pain. He is not aloof to it. So he is there in the midst of the suffering. And not only that, Jesus is willing to go to suffering himself on the cross. And this is where the promises come in. So John 14 that I just read, Jesus was on the night that he was going to be betrayed and handed over. It was on that night that he gave the teaching. His disciples knew. He had told them, I'm going to die. And his disciples were understandably upset. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he describes something of heaven to us. And because words fail to adequately describe it, he uses a metaphor. He says it's a house. Some translations call it a mansion. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. What that does is that gives us a promise that Sonny's final resting place is not just ashes in the ground. Oh, no, there's a place prepared. He's gone on ahead. Jesus has prepared a place for him, and he's brought him to be with God in the Father's house. This promise is incredible for us. It means death no longer gets the last word. It gives us hope, and it tells us that we don't have to grieve as people uh, who have no hope. Because of what Jesus has done, we have hope. On the cross, Jesus conquered sin, he conquered evil, and he conquered death. He told everyone, on the third day, I'm going to rise. And he did exactly that. He's called the first fruits of the resurrection. So he's the first of many who will rise. We all will get a new body. And I think that it's Fair to say, but far too simplistic to say, Sonny will sail a boat again. It's simplistic to say it because the scriptures say this, this slight momentary affliction is not worth comparing to what is to come. To say he'll sail a boat again is, that's selling things too low. There is something so glorious that we, it can't, we can't even understand it. Words can't possibly explain it to us. But Jesus had made, has made big promises the Apostle Paul at one point says, it's better for me to be with the Lord than to remain with you. He recognized where Sonny is now is better than had he been with us. Of course, we, we hurt whenever we lose a loved one. And the Lord is our consolation until the day we're reunited. And one of the promises is that those all, all those who trust in God's promises will overcome. 
and we'll see one another again in that great and glorious day of resurrection. So in memorial services like this, it's helpful for us to go back to the age-old statements of the faith. The Apostles' Creed is so helpful because it declares who God is and what we believe. So I'd like to say a prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll together join in the Apostles' Creed. But please pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith this morning. We're here to entrust Sonny into your merciful hands. We have many questions that we don't get the answers to, but we're grateful for your promises. And I pray that you would help us to trust you, that we would place our trust in you this day and feel hope rise up within our hearts. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. I invite you